0: we are starting a brand new series today called Guardrails. We're gonna do it for the whole month of August. And uh, this is a series that actually North Point did a a number of years back. And in fact, eight years ago, uh, Joy and I, we were leading the young adults. We were having services over in the student center. We did a series called Guardrails as well. So I'm gonna take a little bit of both of those and kind of tailor it for New Hope for today. And I'm actually very excited about it. And uh, I think it's gonna encourage you and challenge you in your life. You know, no one needs guardrails until they need them as our Gentlemen gentleman falling out of bed showed us. So uh, uh, my text verse for today is out of Ephesians 5. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as we read this text out of the Word of God. Ephesians five fifteen. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So this is for the church, okay? He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, Paul is saying here, put up some guardrails in your life. He's admonishing us. He's saying, be careful, be wise, don't be foolish. There's a lot of stuff just in these few short verses here that he's challenging us with in our life. The title of my message today is called Highway to the Danger Zone. And if you thought about Kenny Loggins when I said that, you're a good age. So, uh, let's pray. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your word because your word is what gives us life. Your word is what changes us. So God, we open our hearts today to you to allow you to minister to us, Lord. I'm just your vessel. I pray that my words would be your words today and that you would work in each one of us to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, be careful. Yeah, say it like you mean it. Parents took that as an opportunity to tell their kids, right? So as I said, this month we're gonna be talking about the importance of establishing guardrails in our life. Now, we all understand the physical guardrails, like on that bed, more more, uh, pertinently, we understand the guardrails that are on the road that we see when we're driving, right? We all understand the need for those. They're, They're essential in places where, if you go past that area, it would take you into a Dangerous area, into the danger zone, right? Um, guardrails are something we don't notice a lot until we actually need it. It's something that can be somewhat inconspicuous, but it's designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas. They're designed to keep us safe. Now, if you hit a guardrail with your car, it's still gonna do damage, but they're designed to minimize the damage. Obviously, if you hit a guardrail, it's, it's better than what would've happened if, you, if the guardrail wasn't there it could have been much more catastrophic in our life. So they're designed to minimize damage when we're driving our car. And it's also designed when we put them in our personal life to, to minimize the damage in our personal life as well. Something to note about guardrails on the road is that they are typically put in areas where you could feasibly drive there if the guardrail wasn't there. They're not put down in the danger zone because if they're down there, you hit the guardrail down in the danger zone, it's most likely it's too late. By then, you're, you're in trouble. So they're actually put up in areas where you could feasibly drive, but it's there to keep us away or keep us out of the danger zone in life. I remember living in Colorado for about four years, and we would constantly go driving up these mountain roads to go get the highest views of the city and of the, the country there. It was just beautiful, beautiful stuff. But boy, when you're going up a mountain road, you are very, very thankful for those guardrails, especially if it's snowing. Because you know when we're young and dumb, we're, the snow's just, <laughs> just an extra challenge for us, we're still gonna do it. And uh, the guardrails were there to keep us from going over the side of the cliff. And you know, it's funny because those guardrails on these mountain roads in Colorado, they're not pristine and pretty and nice, they're banged up. They're dented up pretty bad. But every one of those dents is probably something that saved somebody's life. And, uh, or at least at the very minimum, minimized the damage that could have been if they weren't there. So we're gonna be talking about guardrails for our life. This isn't about guardrails on the road. I think we all understand that. That's just used as an illustration to parallel what we're gonna be talking about, which is guardrails for life. And a good definition of guardrails for our life would be instilling standards of behavior that become a matter of conscience for us. In other words, it's about putting parameters in life to keep us out of the danger zones of life. Whether it's in our finances, or it's in our relationships, or if it's in our words, or if it's in our our emotions, or if it's in our faith, that we would put guardrails up to keep us out of danger zones where we would experience catastrophic damage in our life. Now, I wanna be very, very clear today that this series is not about legalism, okay? This is not about, well, you're a Christian, so you have to do this and this and this if you wanna stay a Christian, okay? We understand if you are a part of New Hope and you've been here for a while or any length of time, you know that we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is crystal clear, that salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. It is a free gift of grace that God gives us because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary for us. And that is the only thing that brings us salvation. So let us not skirt past that and and say, oh, New Hope's getting all legalistic, talking about putting up guardrails. No, guardrails are about wisdom in our life, but it does not bring us salvation. We are not about living a list of rules to get saved, because if we could do that, Jesus died for nothing. And God's no, he's not gonna torture his own son or allow his own son to be tortured when he wouldn't have had to. It was the only way to bring us back. And so our faith and our hope is always, always in him. But we also have to understand that out of my text verse, it says that the days are evil. So being a Christian is wonderful, but it's not enough to keep us out of the danger zones. In fact, in many ways, you could say, once you become a follower of Jesus, there's a bit of a target on your back trying to get you into the danger zones. So we have to be wise. We have to be careful. We have to not be foolish and understand the danger zones of our life. You see, we live in this society that does not care about our beliefs, about our faith. Society doesn't necessarily even want us to stay on this narrow road that Jesus talks about, the the narrow road that leads to life. Society is looking to push us off this narrow road and get us in the ditches of our life. Now, I wanna be clear again, or also, that this is not a series railing against society, okay? Society is not our enemy. It is not us versus them when it comes to the, the church versus society. That is not how we are meant to live at all, I don't believe. I believe we're meant to be a light in society. So society is not our enemy, but our enemy uses society to try to get us off of the road that God would have us on. So we have to be aware of the pitfalls that come into our life. Because see, society doesn't actually like personal guardrails. Society doesn't like it at all. Society is actually would prefer painted lines on the road not something that's actually going to restrict. See, society would say guardrails are too restricting, they're too limiting, what they do is actually just try to keep us from having fun. They would prefer a painted line that just kinda lets us know the edge is there, but you know what, if I wanna venture over that way, I could still do it. That's how society would approach the situations or the lifestyle that they would live when in reality, God has called us to a higher standard. Society would say things like, do what makes you happy. That's a painted line. That's no guardrail, because sometimes what makes you happy can be detrimental. Sometimes what makes you happy can really hurt other people. See, do what makes you happy, that's good intentions, but how many of you know sometimes me doing what makes me happy could really hurt somebody or even hurt myself? If somebody says, well, you know, I didn't mean to to cheat on my spouse and leave her for somebody else, but this person over here really makes me happy. So you're just kind of collateral damage. I didn't mean to hurt you, so my intentions weren't bad, so that's okay. That's just a painted line. That's all that is. So society saying do what makes you happy is not any kind of guardrail in life. Uh, society would also say follow your heart. Probably the worst advice anyone could ever give anyone. Don't ever follow your heart. Because we know the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, a beyond cure. So your heart can, only, can also deceive you. Following your heart is basically saying just follow your emotions. However you feel today, go that way. Following your heart will lead you into ditches and ravines and off of cliffs every day. You might skirt by a few times, but it's going to come back and bite you. Never, ever live a life where our our painted line is follow your heart. Another one, probably my favorite, and this is one Andy Stanley talks about. He says, uh, a painted line is don't have sex until you're ready. (laughs) Tell the young man not to have sex until he's ready. He's gonna say, well, I was ready yesterday. I don't care when you said it, I was ready the day before, right? That's not a guardrail in life. That's a painted line. Well, who knows when who's ready? When we live biblically, we understand the Word of God tells us that ready means you're in the confines of marriage, right? Right? And so saying don't don't have it till you're ready is not a guardrail in life, but that's how society would want us to approach our life. And the interesting thing is that society doesn't like when we have guardrails, but let me tell you, when we go down and we if we don't have guardrails, we end up in the ditch, whatever kind of ditch we're in, whether it's financial or emotional or relational or moral, society is the first to mock us and shame us. Well, you shouldn't have gone in there, but if we put guardrails up, they'll mock us too. So society is not the standard that we're going to live by because they actually love it, especially if Christians fall into the ditch. You'll see it all over the news if a well-known Christian has a moral failure. It's gonna be everywhere because they love to mock us and shame us when we mess up. But they don't want us to have guardrails because those are too restrictive. So you can't win. So the point here is we cannot find our standards, we cannot find our guardrails, our, our standard for living from our society because they will always, always lead us astray. If you opt for guardrails in your life, you will not be celebrated, but it will keep you from having many, many regrets. It'll keep you out of a lot of ditches in your life and keep you from rolling down the side of an emotional cliff in our life. Now, this, is also, this series is also not just about making you a better person, okay? We're not about trying to make people better people. That's not the priority for us as a church. I don't believe it's the priority for us as ministers of the gospel. It's not just about making us better people. Our goal, our heart for everyone that would come into this building, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's a, a third Sunday prayer, whether it's a first Wednesday night, whether it's youth, whether it's young adults, whether it's legacy, our goal for you is always to assist you and to encourage you to live your life for a Jesus which society is progressively running away from. That's our goal. So even this series about guardrails is about getting, helping you and assisting you to live your life for Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it's all about. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, gives us a little hint about society and what it looks like. He says in verses 12 to 13, because of the increase of wickedness, some versions actually say lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Does that feel like where we are today? The love of a lot of people is growing cold. The best one of the best ways to keep our love from going cold, growing cold is to put up guardrails. Cuz it's really hard to love others and love God when you're down in the ditch. But if we will put up if we will use wisdom in our life, we can help we can help to keep from having our love grow cold in our own life. You see lawlessness and wickedness is becoming more and more mainstream in our society, and society is accepting it. There's things that are condoned now, and you see all the time that you would have never dreamed 20, 30, 40 years ago would be condoned in our society. It's just continually sliding down that path. And you know what, it's to be expected, because Jesus said it. But the key is, for us as followers of Jesus, is that we cannot allow ourselves to become desensitized to these things to where having guardrails in our life isn't a concern, or to where we, don't, where we stop looking different than society. Because we are called to look different than them. We're called to have guardrails in our life when society just wants painted lines, what just wants suggestions, but we will have standards. God has called us to that, and it's not to restrict us from anything, it's for our protection in our life. And it's to, it's, to, it's to be able to experience the fullness of life that God has called each one of us to. But these things are, it is so easy for us to fall into the traps that society would wanna put us in and not really having any guardrails in our life. When we substitute painted lines for guardrails, we are falling into their trap. You know, someone said a long time ago, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And good intentions aren't enough. Good intentions don't get us anywhere. God doesn't care about our intentions, right? He wants us to be wise, not foolish, and to be careful in our life, as our text verse says. So what I'm gonna do today, I'm gonna break down this text verse, I'm gonna spend most of my time in Ephesians 5 today, because this is such a treasure trove of material out of my text that gives us great guardrails for life. And uh, you know, this chapter five in Ephesians, he's actually talking about how we were once children of darkness. He's talking to the church. He's saying, you know, but in the past, you were children of darkness. You were children that were lived in and out of the ditches. You were children that kept falling off the cliff. You were children that, that lived for yourself. But he's saying now you are children of light, which is beautiful. We all know if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what it means to have been a child of darkness and now to be a child of light. It's a big difference. But then he goes on to say it's not enough that you can just say you're a child of light. He says, live as children of light. There's a standard of living for us as children of light, not to, not to get favor from God, not to, not to get saved, but because we have favor from God and because we're saved, we live with a standard in our life. Paul's being very clear here and then he goes on and my text verse is him explaining kinda how we can do that, how we can live as children of the light so there's a few principles of guardrails that he gives us in these verses and to I want to give you these the first one is to be aware in Ephesians 5:15 the first verse of my text he says be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise guardrails scream be careful when you see a guardrail it screams at you be careful because you know why because we don't they don't put guardrails in areas where they're not necessary Right, You go out in our parking lot, our parking lot's huge. You go out in the middle of our parking lot, you're not gonna see a guardrail because it's just as safe on both sides of the guardrail if it's in the middle of the parking lot. Where you see a guardrail is down at the end, down at the bottom there towards Old Bel Air Road where that unsightly detention pond is that our lovely county made us put in when we bought this property. And I'm not bitter. But we had to put that in there, and so we had to put a guardrail there because if you go past that area, you're gonna be down into a little wet ravine, and it's gonna be very difficult to get your car out. We have guardrails in places that, that scream, be careful, because on the other side of this is some tough mudding, and that's what we do. So when you see a guardrail, you know that that's what's going on. And Paul's saying here, don't be naive, church. Don't be naive, be careful, you have an enemy and he is working hard behind the scenes to try to get you off the road. He is working hard. That's why Paul's saying, be careful here. He says, when we put up guardrails, we are resisting the enemy. And and Peter tells us to resist the enemy. In 1 Peter 5, verses eight to nine, look what he says here. He says, be self-controlled and alert. In other words, be careful, be careful. Your enemy, your enemy, not just mine, he's yours too. If you're a follower of Jesus or even if you're not, he's still your enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. You know how you resist your enemy? With your faith. It's the only way to resist him. You are powerless against the enemy without the faith in Jesus. You're not smarter than him. You're not wiser than him. You're not stronger than him. You're not more cunning than him. The only way to resist him is in our faith. It's the faith in Jesus that gives us what we need to fight against the enemy. You know, uh, many of you know in my previous life, I was a builder and I would go check on my job sites every day, you know, when I was building houses. And, and, uh, you know, a, a a construction site is a treacherous place to be if you're not careful. Um, there was never, I, I would never just walk around looking at my phone and scrolling Instagram while I'm walking on a job site, because if you do that, you're gonna end up with, in the emergency room with a nail in your foot, right? Because there's just all kinds of hazards all over the place. And if, you know, I go out to a job and the framers are working and they need me to ask me a question about the roof, you know, next thing I know, I find myself 30 feet up in the air walking on a two by four wall. You're definitely not looking at your phone then. If the phone rings, you leave it. <laughs> you can wait, it can wait till you get back to the, to the car, because you had to be very careful on job sites, and, but unfortunately, many of us as followers of Jesus, I feel like we live our life thinking that we're in the middle of the New Hope parking lot all the time, where there's nothing to worry about because there's tons of room all over the place, when in reality, in our faith, we should be treating it as if we're walking 30 feet in the air on a two by four wall and being careful and being aware and being alert of what's going on around us and putting up guardrails in our life. We have to be intentional about those things. He says to live as wise people, not as unwise. And you know, wisdom is something that's beautiful, but it's not just something you can decide, today I'm gonna have wisdom. Today I'm gonna be wise. It doesn't work that way. Wisdom is learned. Now, there is a wisdom that God gives us. James tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask and he will give, right? And that's beautiful, but there's a wisdom that, that even that wisdom that God gives us has to be applied in our life. We still have to apply it, we have to grow in wisdom. Paul says to live as wise, not as unwise. So we have to be intentional about that in our life, having wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. I would say God puts a pretty high premium on having wisdom in our life, even if it costs us all we have. You know, when people ask me, what I, what I like about getting older, about growing older, you know, because I'm, I'm to that place where young kids think I'm ancient, and uh, even though I think I'm still pretty young, but when people ask me what I like about getting older, it's always an easy answer. Every time, no question, right off the bat, wisdom. Man, I wish I had the wisdom 20 years ago that I have today because wisdom will keep you out of a lot of trauma and a lot of drama, all right? Man, it's so easy that when you, when you, as you grow in wisdom, there's so many things that just slide off your back, you know, that just don't seem to matter like you thought they mattered 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Wisdom is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and there is no greater asset in life than wisdom because it will keep you out of the ditches in your life. And wisdom tells us that our decisions matter that our decisions matter. We know, you know, that your decisions from yesterday affected today. And you also know that your decisions today affect tomorrow, it's all connected. It's all connected. Wisdom tells us to be mindful of that, to be aware, as the Bible says, to be alert, because your enemy is prowling around like a lion. The next principle is to be intentional. And it comes out of the next verse, out of my text verse, in Ephesians five sixteen. It says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. Being intentional about every opportunity that God would give us. This is about living with no regrets. That's hard to do, isn't it? We probably all, if I asked anybody to raise your hand if you have any regrets in life, I think we'd probably all raise our hand because we all have regrets. There's all kinds of opportunities that we have missed that we can see in hindsight, or opportunities we, where we did the wrong thing when we could have done something else. We all have regrets, but the beauty of a believer, the beauty of someone who's given their life to Jesus is that we don't have to wallow in those regrets. We don't have to wallow in, in the mistakes we've made in the past because we know that the Bible's clear that we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So we don't wallow in those regrets, but we still do remember those things in our life, Re- remember those things that, that we wish we hadn't done. Like, speaking of construction, there was, I, I regret that I handled this nail gun so flippantly and shot a nail into my ankle when I was 15 years old. I regret that. I regret the doctor pulling my leg straight and, and really hurting my leg badly. I regret when I was 17 dating a girl that was completely toxic, right, and that was not joy. I didn't meet her till much later, just to uh, quench any doubt anybody might have. But there's, there's regrets that we all can have in our life, but those things don't have to define us, right? Those things don't have to um, derail us. We probably have regrets in our faith. I know I do, there have been many, many times where I chickened out of sharing my faith with someone, that I knew the Lord, the Holy Spirit was prompting me to talk to them about my faith. Lots of times I chickened out, there are times that that I chickened out when I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to sow a seed when I saw a need somewhere and the Lord said I want you to give sacrificially and sometimes I, sometimes I was obedient and 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 approached it and did it well and there was times that I missed it there was times that I regret that I did not give in give to those situations and sow seed in those times there's all kinds of regret that we have but. If we have intentionality, if we have being intentional as a guardrail in our life, it'll prompt us to look for those opportunities, to be able to be a blessing, to be able to uh, share our faith, to be able to keep us away from some of the hazards that might come our way in our life. We have to have the attitude of Paul, where he spoke in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter nine, verse 25 to 27, look what he says here. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. That tells me he's intentional. He's not running around like somebody just running around with nowhere to go. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So he's not walking around like there's no danger. He's not living his life without any guardrails in his life. He's being intentional about the fact that there is danger, that he's not just gonna allow himself to just go aimlessly wherever he would wanna go, whether it's emotionally or in his faith or in his finances, whatever it is, that he's gonna be intentional about what he is doing. And he says, I beat my body. Now, that's not literal, he's not, slamming himself up against the wall, what he's saying here is that he's making sure that he is intentional, that his sin nature does not get a say, that his selfishness does not get a say, that his apathy does not get a say, but that he's gonna be intentional even when he doesn't feel like it. He's saying, I beat my body to make sure that it comes into submission to the holiness of God in my life. Now, let me tell you, Paul had some of the greatest revelation, some of the greatest experience with the Holy Spirit and with God that anyone in the history of the world has ever had. And if he still has to beat his body to bring it into submission to make sure he's intentional, I think we're going to have to, too. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm a Christian. God's just going to take care of me. He's going to keep me off the, out of the ditches no matter what. If Paul had to be intentional, if he had to beat his body, if he had to bring it into submission, so do we. This is a good word for us as followers, this is the attitude of a Christian, to not let our feelings or our heart or God forbid society lead us, but that we would allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in our life. Paul also says in Galatians 5.16, one of the greatest directives in all the Bible, he says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is about being surrendered to the Holy Spirit in our life. He said, if you will do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Otherwise, you will gratify those desires. Those, you won't have any guardrails. and if, if you just think painted lines are enough, you're gonna find yourself on the edge and you're gonna find yourself falling over the edge because the, 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 the desires of the flesh are very, very strong if we're not walking by the Spirit. Which leads me to my third principle, and this is the most important one. It is to be surrendered. This is a great guardrail for us in life, probably the most important guardrail we could ever put up in our life. The third verse out of my text, out of Ephesians five seventeen, it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now that tells me that it's foolish not to make this guardrail a guardrail to understand the will of God for my life. You might say, well, what does that have to do with surrender? Well, that's easy, because at the end of the day, everything in our faith comes back to surrendering to the will of God for our life, everything. I mean, we joke about it on staff all the time. I feel like every time I preach, I talk about surrendering to God, but I can't can't see anything else in the word other than surrendering to him. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, that's what it is. It's about living a life surrendered to Jesus because there's always going to be, if it was just a thing where he could just say it once and we did it, it'd probably only be a small verse in the Bible, but it's the whole theme of the Bible because it's the most difficult thing for us to do, is to surrender to our God because the flesh nature is very, very strong in our life. Proverbs 28, 26, it says he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. We are not called to trust ourselves. We're not called to surrender to ourself, to our own, to our heart. We're not called to follow our heart, as I said before. We're not called to do any of those things. We're called to trust him. We're called to surrender to him. It also says in Proverbs 3, it says to lean not, to trust not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's not an acknowledgement, a tip of the hat, acknowledging him, it's about surrendering to him. It's about letting him be in the driver's seat of your life. It's about giving him everything, laying it down constantly day after day after day. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me every day because every morning we get up with a whole new batch of flesh that wants to have its way. So it's got to be something we're doing all the time every single day of our life. And this passage gives us clear directive for the will of God in our life. Because he says, you know, it's foolish not to understand God's will for your life. Everybody wants to know God's will, right? Well, there is so much in the word that shows us what God's will is for all of us. It doesn't, it doesn't differentiate between one person to another. There are things that is the will of God for every Christian. And we see that as you continue down in Ephesians 5, the very next verse, in verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Beautiful, beautiful verse. His will is that we would be filled with His Spirit. And the only way to be filled with the Spirit is to be submitted to His Spirit. Now, let me be clear here. We know that when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear on that, that He comes and dwells in you, and that's a beautiful thing, but there's a difference between getting the Holy Spirit when you get saved and being filled with the Spirit. Because let me tell you, Paul wrote this to the church. He wrote this to Christians, and he says to be filled with the Spirit. We are to be continually filled with the Spirit of God, and the only way that happens is for us to not be filled with ourselves. It's about being surrendered to him. The more we, the less of us that there is, the more of him that's filling us with his Spirit. That's why John, The Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. Because as long as I'm in here, as long as there's a lot of me in here, there's not much room for God to do what he wants to do. So we have to be surrendered to his spirit. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. Now this verse is not as much about about drunkenness as it is about being filled with the spirit. But as a side note, I will say, he says, "Don't don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, debauchery is not a word we use very often in the English language, but what it basically means is an extreme indulgence, usually of a sexual nature. Now, we're talking about guardrails. How good of an idea do you think it is to have a guardrail up when it comes to alcohol? Because how many people, every one of us, either has had this happen to us or knows someone that this has happened to them, where they overindulged in alcohol and they gave in to that extreme sexual desire? How many people get in trouble doing that because of going too far. So Paul's telling us very clearly here, he's saying, hey, don't get drunk on this because it's gonna, the guardrail, there's no such thing as a guardrail once you get to a certain point, right? So he's saying, be careful, be careful. But he says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The reason he talks about being drunk on wine here is because everybody understands that when we fill our bellies with alcohol, it changes our personality, it changes who we are, right? Usually for the worse. He's saying, instead of being filled with alcohol, be filled with the Spirit, because it will also change you, but it will change you for the better. It'll change you for God's glory. It'll it'll empower you to live for Him in a way you can't do on your own. You don't just need the Holy Spirit when you get saved, you need that filling. You need to be continually filled with the Spirit, but that requires us being continually surrendered and emptied and not allowing our flesh to have its way, but being intentional about making sure that we're giving ourselves to Him. Hallelujah. I got ahead of my notes here, because I'm talking so much, I'm loving it. Surrender is the guardrail we need the most in our life, but it's also the hardest one for us to put up. Because see, it's one thing about putting up a guardrail about relationships, you know, like saying, you're not gonna, you're not gonna allow yourself to get into a situation relationally you know, like you're not gonna cheat on your spouse. You're gonna put up guardrails to make sure you don't have long, intimate conversations with someone of the opposite sex, You know, especially complaining about your spouse to this person. That's a guardrail. Like, I'm not gonna ride alone in a car with someone of the opposite sex. That's a guardrail that will keep you from, being able, from going over that cliff into that other area, right? That's one thing to put that up. Or have a guardrail about alcohol, whether you say, you know, I'm not gonna touch alcohol ever, or I'll never have more than one drink, or whatever it is, you have a guardrail up Those are good, they're they're about self-denial, but they're manageable, right? But the guardrail of surrender, of saying "I'm I'm not gonna allow myself to be full of myself, but I'm gonna continually empty myself of me and trusting my God, that permeates every area of our life. There's no area of your life that surrendering to God will not touch. There's no area. And so this is the hardest one for us to install in our lives, but it's also the one that will pay the most dividends. It's also the one that will protect us the most. It's also the one that will keep us out of more ditches, more ravines, more regrets than any other guardrail we could put up in our entire life. And it makes it the most important one that we could put up in our life. If we go on to verse 19 and 20, he talks more about the will of God. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, cursory reading, this sounds like a cheesy musical. There's nothing I would want less to do than sing with my buddies back and forth and talk to them in songs. (laughs) I don't even know what that would look like. It'd be really awkward and weird. So I was hoping beyond hope that that's not really what Paul meant here, so I had to study the verse a little more, and thank goodness that isn't really what he's talking about, praise God. But what it's really talking about here is about putting up a guardrail of worship. To worship the Lord no matter what our situation. That that is the will of God for you and for me. You know, when we sing songs at the beginning of our services, that's not just something to get through until we can get to the preaching. It's not something we just endure. It's a valuable part of our service. This is a time where we get to worship our God where we get to enthrone him. The Bible says that he is enthroned on our praises, that we're actually ascribing greatness to him in our worship. That's just one aspect of worship, but he's talking about, and here he's talking about living our life as worship, that there would be a song in our heart for our God because of how good he is, that we would put up a guardrail of worship, that there is nothing in my life that could ever make me jump over that guardrail to get to where I would lose my worship that there is nothing in life that would cause me to come to a place where I would say, you know what, I'm not gonna worship him anymore. That we would understand that our worship of him is not based on our circumstances. Now this is a great guardrail for us, that my worship of God is not based on the fact that he got me a new job, or I got a raise, or I got a girlfriend, or I had a kid, or I had something good happen in my life. That's not what our worship is based on. Our worship is based on who he is. We worship him for who he is, not because of what he does for us. So if I put up that guardrail, I know that no matter what my circumstance is, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, I'm never gonna lose my worship. I will never get to a place where I will stop saying, God, you are worthy of my worship. That's a great guardrail to put up in your life. That's his will for you and for me, that we would worship him on Sunday mornings, whether it's with singing, or whether it's on Monday morning at our work, with just living a life of standards and and expressing to everybody that knows us that I'm gonna live my life like this, I'm gonna walk the narrow road, because I love my Jesus, because he's that good. That's what it looks like to live a life of worship, to say I will not allow myself to go into the ditch where I'm questioning God's goodness, or his faithfulness, or his mercy, or his love for me. I'll never allow myself to question that, but there's gotta be a guardrail in our life of worship that we'll never allow ourselves to go past. And he also says here, he says, always giving thanks to God, the God of, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So we put up a guard, a guardrail of thankfulness too. How valuable is that for us to have a guardrail of thankfulness that, again, just like with worship, that there's nothing that can happen in my life that would cause me to stop giving thanks to my God. Nothing in my life could ever make me think that he is not worthy of me being thankful to him. In fact, Paul says in Philippians four, one of the the most popular verses in all the Bible, chapter, or verses six to seven, he says, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do not leave that part out. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. It will be a guardrail over your hearts. What will? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, living a life, having a guardrail of thankfulness in our life will keep us from getting into that ditch of anxiety, of living a life of anxiety and worry and fear. The Bible's telling us right here, it's very clear. If you can present your request to God, but do it with thanksgiving, and I will guard your heart against the anxiety, the fear, the worry, all those things that the world says, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just how you're wired. God says, "Mm mm-mm, no, it's not. That's not my spirit in you, you filled with the spirit. You will live this life of thanksgiving to me as you present your request, I'm gonna guard your heart. I'm gonna put a guardrail there for you that's gonna make sure that you don't live in excessive worry and fear and anxiety all the time, worrying about everything that comes down the pike. That's a great promise from God. It's out of his word, that's what he does for us. But we have to be the ones to put up that guardrail and say I'm gonna be thankful. I'm gonna give thanks in any and every situation. Again, whether it's something I wanted to happen or not, I'm gonna thank God. I'm not thanking God for the fact that I lost my job, but I'm gonna thank God in that I lost my job, that I can still trust Him, that He's still faithful, that He's still worthy of my praise, that He's still good. His character has not changed. His character does not deviate based on my circumstances. His character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I can trust Him, and He deserves it. Hallelujah. Thankfulness is a wonderful guardrail that will keep us from living anxious and worried. You know, our tongues are powerful. In fact, we're gonna be talking a good bit about the tongue when it comes to guardrails and putting a guard around our tongue. Some of us might have to be mute for a week or two. (laughs) I just had somebody come up to me after first service and said, you know, till I got saved, he just got saved in the last few months. He said, until I got saved, he said, I probably said 100 cuss words a day. He said, I didn't have to be mad, I just said it because it was part of my vocabulary. But he said, the Lord has completely changed my thinking. He has changed my vocabulary. He said, I haven't cussed in weeks. And praise God. He was so excited, yeah, praise God for that. Now listen, for those of you that maybe have been saved a long time and you really don't do that, it might not be a big deal, but for somebody that's been doing it for years, For God to just basically deliver them is incredible. God will put a guard even around our mouth as we trust him and as we're submitted to him. Praise God. Would you stand with me as I close today? Mm, God is good. I wanna pray for us today that uh, if you're here today and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna pray we would be more aware, more intentional, and more surrendered we put guardrails in our life that would help us to stay out of those ditches, those emotional ditches, those, those ditches of faith that we so oftentimes can stagger into in our life. I'm thankful though for God because when we find ourselves in a, in a ditch of faith, it's, it's, it's a one quick step to get out of it. He says he will never turn us away when we come to him. A smoldering wick he will never snuff out. He's so good. You don't have to stay down in the, in the valley. But if you're here today and you would say, well, I'm not even, I don't even say I'm a Christian. Well, I'm glad you're here because we prayed for you. We pray every week that that God would bring people into this building on Sundays that do not know him. So if you're here, you might be an answer to our prayers. But I can tell you, it's not just so you can enjoy an hour or so with some really cool, good-looking people. I believe God wants to touch your heart. I believe he wants you to, I know he wants you to give him your life. I know he wants you to trust him with your life. So can I encourage you today, don't leave today without making that decision. If he's put it on your heart, if you feel it, and you know like something's, I know I'm not living the way I need to live, I know I'm not trusting God with my life, it's, it's not rocket science at all. It's about, it's about saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that there's no way I can be good enough on my own, and I believe that what you did was enough for my salvation, that you came to this earth as a man, lived a sinless life, you died on a cross, and you, three days later, you rose again and you put your trust in him and commit to give your life to him, that he gets to be in the driver's seat, he gets to be the one to direct you, you'll be saved. And then you start that journey of salvation, living out that life, the faith walk. And if you need help with that today, me and Joy will be right up front here afterwards. We'd love to talk to you and walk you through it. But I wanna pray for all of us right now that God would help us, as we always say, to take our next step in our faith. So important that we never get stagnant, that we never stop growing in our faith. And yeah, if you wanna come up to the altar and pray, you're welcome to today. Feel free to come up here and just kneel if you wanna spend some time with the Lord by yourself. We're gonna pray now, let's pray. Father, we do love you today. We thank you so much for your word that is life. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you, first of all, for what you've done for each and every one of us. Thank you for the price that was paid to bring us back into relationship with you. What a privilege and a blessing it is to know you as our Lord and Savior. And God, I know that this series, I believe it's gonna challenge us and encourage us, Lord. I pray that, that the words that were spoken today, Lord, that we would not forget this by the time we get to lunch today, but that it would permeate in our hearts, that it would produce fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more aware, to be more intentional, and to be more surrendered. God, show us the areas in our life where we have held on to these things, God. Help us to let go and to trust you. God, we we repent for where we have held on, where we have allowed the the flesh nature, the desires of the flesh to lead us and to lead us down into ditches. Lord, I thank you today that whoever's in a ditch today, God, that we know all it takes is just recommitting ourselves to you. We thank you that when we ask your forgiveness, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we receive that today, God. Go with us, Father. Help us to live for you. Help us to install those guardrails in our life that will help us to glorify you and to honor you and to be a blessing to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen. Praise God. Can we praise God one more time? Thank you, Lord.